How many of you know that today our faith is under scrutiny and under attack today? There's an assault against our faith. I want you to jump with me into 2 Timothy chapter 3, Paul's last letter to his son in the faith, the one he mentored, discipled, raised, and he, 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 uh, he's challenging this young man who's about ready to take one of the, not at the time, but he would literally uh, have the largest church there in Turkey in Southeast Asia. According to some regions, uh, legends, he, he got up to about, they got up to over 30-some thousand Timothy pastor coming out of the first into the second century. But Paul here says this. He says in verse 10, 2 Timothy 3, verse 10, he said, you have carefully followed my doctrine, my manner of life, my purpose and faith, long-suffering, love and perseverance, persecutions, afflictions, which happened to me at Antioch and Inium, in Icinium and Lystria. What persecutions I endured, and out of them all, the Lord delivered me. Can you say amen? amen. I mean, but God's a God who may allow you to walk through something, but he also delivers you out of them. Then he says this in verse 12. Yes, all, didn't say some, all who desire to live godly. How many desire to live like Jesus? All who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will have a picnic Oops, wrong, wrong translation. It says what? Will what? Suffer. Now, this is not one of those kind of messages we want to hear about. We don't want to hear about the suffering. We went with the blessing message. How many of you love the blessing? I love the blessing. How many of you like sweets? I like sweets. I like all those things that taste good. But sometimes God has to give us the vegetables. Sometimes God has to give us those things so we can get strong. Amen? Now, God's not interested in watching you suffer. That's not the point. But there's something that he's saying here. He says, all those who live godly will suffer persecution. Then he says, verse 13, evil men and imposters. These are phonies. Will, will grow worse and worse deceiving and being deceived. This is the mark of the last day. Imposters and evil men, deceiving and being deceived, but you must continue in the things which you have learned and be assured of knowing from whom you have learned them from. You know, one thing I so appreciate is in my heritage, I've had the same pastor for 60 years. You know, it's easy to just bounce all over the place, but I'm so grateful that I had a pastor. He wasn't a perfect man, but he was a godly man. And he was a man of God that trained and taught and laid a healthy foundation in our life. And there was a reason for it. Because God's interested in family. He's interested in covenant. And uh, covenant is so important. But here Paul is saying, 
that we must understand in order for us to grow strong, what he's saying here, you need to have a healthy relationship base. Amen? Amen. Do you know that even in our culture, in our world today, they'll even say that children that have been raised in healthy home environments have have the tendency, there's a tendency doesn't necessarily mean they will, but there's a tendency, the percentage is much higher for them to excel in life. Now, that's not to say that God's grace and his mercy and his, his word cannot prevail in those that are not, not healthy or come out of broken backgrounds. It can, but even, even science uh, doctors will tell you that when there's a healthy relationship base, that means the root system is strong. That's why homes need to be healthy. But Paul says that in the last days, because of godliness, because of your stand for righteousness, guess what? It's going to create an assault and attack on you. Because you stand for laws, because you stand for the word of the Lord, because you stand for what God's word says. But the question is, why? Why? Are you under attack? Now, Peter goes on to say in the epistle of Peter that there are those who suffer for the right things and then there's those who suffer for the wrong things. It's possible for you to suffer because you're just making some really dumb, dumb decisions. Anybody out there? I can raise three hands on a leg on that one. You could make some dumb decisions and you pay the consequences. And Peter goes on in the epistle and says, what good does that do? It does no good when you make decisions uh, and wrong decisions because out of the lusts of your own heart or because uh, you're in fighting and quarreling with each other and you, you ask and you have not and you seek and you don't never have because you seek to consume it upon your own lusts. When me is at the center of your life, you're going to make some seriously bad decisions. Let me say that again. When me is in the center, when it's all about me, I'm going to make some bad decisions. But when Jesus is at the center, he's going to lead you to abundant life. But he says here, all those who desire to live godly in Christ will suffer persecution or hardships or trials. Jesus in Matthew 24 even says that they will put you out of the synagogue. They will call you a blasphemer. They will rail you, say all manner of evil against you falsely. Jesus also in Matthew 24, which is referring to the second coming of the Lord, he even says this, that because iniquity or lawlessness or to be without law, or without God's understanding of his ways, because iniquity will abound, the love, notice this, the love of many will wax cold. Wherever there's iniquity, love dissipates. But wherever there's godly love, it increases. Not, amen. Now notice what, he else, what else Paul goes on here to say. To continue in those things and to be assured of whom, whom you have learned them. I want to ask you a question. Who are the people of influence in your life? Do you know that someone's influencing you, but you are also influencing someone else? 
Let me, let me ask you a question for thought. What kind of an influence am I leaving and legacy am I leaving for people, my children, family, my friends, constituents, co-workers? What legacy do I leave? How many of you know that we're salt and light? God never said, Jesus said, you don't hide a light under a, a bushel, but you bring that light out and let it shine. Amen? I want to let my light shine. I got to tell you something happened to me this, this past week at Home Depot. I was over at Home Depot. I had to get some supplies for some things that I, I had to do here at the church. And this, by the way, uh, actually has never happened to me before, but I was going down a particular uh, aisle. I was getting some hardware at Home Depot right over here off of Buckingham. And a guy comes up to me. I, I, you know, I just had my little cart, pushing my cart down, but this gentleman was coming opposite of me. And literally, folks, without any exaggeration, I'm telling he comes up to me and he puts his arm right on my left shoulder and stops me cold and starts prophesying over me at Home Depot. Wow. Wow. Now, I want you to know I was not happy. And, I mean, he just comes up to me. He's about my age, a little bigger than me. Comes up and says, boy, God's hand is on you, old man of God. I'm, and I'm, I'm looking around, and I, I'm, I am not, I'm not joking about this. This guy literally, with a raised voice, and I'm thinking, okay, I believe in treasure hunts, and I believe in words of knowledge, but this is a little out of character. You know, and, and he's given me this word, and... Um, and some of the things that he was saying was true. And uh, so I'm, I'm just looking at him. His eyes are closed. He's really intense. He's just pro- I, I've never seen the guy in my life. Never seen this guy. By the way, I would recommend that you don't do that to people. Now, I knew from my background, I'm very aware of the fact that when you work, move in a word of knowledge and you give a word and share, you know, the, the point is, is not to embarrass people. Actually, had I not been a Christian and around the culture of the Holy Spirit, I probably would have decked the guy because it was actually more embarrassing because there were, there were people who were walking like this. I mean, it was really not flattering. But So I, I just let him continue, and finally he got done, and, I, and he says, man, I just feel God's anointing and planting the hand of God on you. And I said, well, thank you. I, I appreciate the word. Uh, and uh, I said, uh, who are you? He says, well, I'm just, I'm just here in Garland. I'm so excited. I'm starting a parachurch. He's doing this. I'm starting a parachurch ministry. And I said, where are you planted? Are you planted anywhere? Well, no. I'm just going where the Spirit leads me, brother. And, and I'm thinking, uh-oh, uh-oh, that's a dangerous thing. Because Paul makes it clear. Jesus said, I will build my church. I'm going to build a family. God, how many of you know God's interested in setting the solitary where? In families. And it's important that we understand that that foundation is critical for healthy growth. And accountability. If we don't have that, we're going to get weird. We're going to go off into weirdness. And there's a lot, how many of you know there's a lot of spiritual weirdness out there? 
By the way, I'm not suggesting that these people are not sincere. They're absolutely sincere. They love God. I believe that brother loved God all of his heart. But he's just kind of off in his own little thing. And that's, that's not what Jesus is building. Jesus is not. Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Now, I used to be a builder. When you build something, you have to have a blueprint. And you know one thing? I don't build without blueprints. How many here have ever had any construction done in your house? When you have a construction, how many of you would think it'd be kind of strange if a builder came and said, I'll build you something, but I don't need a blueprint. I just kind of... You'd say, wait a minute. So you just kind of go as the, 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 the wind drifts you wherever you go, huh? That's a dangerous builder. Dangerous builder. Jesus gave us the blueprint. Amen? That's how you build wise, and that's how you build strong. Jesus said the wise man built his house on the rock. And it says he dug deep. Everyone say dig. If you don't dig deep, then you won't find the rock. And the rock is Jesus. Building is not easy. Building takes time. But building takes work. But when you build and you build right, it stands the test of time and it stands the storms. How many of you want your house to stand in the storm? I want my house to stand. I want my life to stand. I want my relation, my family to stand. I want this house to stand. But it's built upon a healthy foundation. Amen? Amen. Now, when you begin to build right, guess what's going to happen? How many of you know the devil's going to try to blow your house down? Paul said here, all those who live God-like or godly will suffer persecution. If you are suffering... If you've lost a job, if somebody is talking about you at the, at the break table because you choose not to use profanity or you choose not to uh, enter into the, the crazy joke that is an ungodly joke, if, if you are to holding a stand, now I'm not saying you're being judgmental against ungodly people, but, but just because you are not participating and you're suffering because you're taking a stand for something, the Bible says this would happen. But also, your light is shining. People are watching you. The Apostle Paul goes on here to say this in verse 15. And from a childhood, you have known the Holy Scripture, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for Doctrine, the word there, doctrine, literally means in the Greek, to a set of beliefs for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. Here's the purpose, that the man of God may be complete or perfect, thoroughly equipped for every good work. God has a work for you. God never intended for you just to get saved, be baptized, and sit in church all your life. In fact, the purpose of the church is not to come to church, 
But if the purpose of the gospel is to make us a mobile church. We're an organism. We're to be a, a group of people that are moving. We're to have movement. You're either stagnant, dead, or you're moving. What does that mean by movement? Jesus said, I will build my church. If we go back into the book of Joshua, Joshua is a book of movement. Joshua possessed the land. God spoke to Joshua after Moses had died, and he said this very important piece of instruction. He says, Moses, my servant is dead. Moses represented an old wineskin, an old way of doing things, an old way of thinking. Some of us today might have come back or out of a past where we've done certain things specific ways, certain things. Even, even myself, I look at my own self. There's been things, I appreciate my past and the, the fathers and, and the leaders and the elders and pastors have spoken in my life, Carol and I, but we know that God has made some changes in our own life, in our own ecclesiology, in our own understanding of Scripture and what God's doing today. How many of you know that what God is doing today or what God did yesterday will not work today. Because God is now, he's not changing the principles, but he may change the wineskin. He may change the methods in the way we do things. So we, we need to be constantly growing and staying flexible. Everyone say flexible. Because this is important for us to reaching our generation. Paul here goes on to say that you may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Now, there's a work for us to do. Why do we believe? Why do we believe what the Word of God says? When you begin to believe what Paul is saying, and you become like God, you are inviting hell against you. I hate to say that. You may say, well, Pastor Ray, wait a minute. Wait, time out. I want a blessing and grace. Blessing and grace. No, when you begin to really make a dent and really begin to move in the kingdom understanding, you are going to stop and destroy the gates of hell. The devil will not stop and just sit back and let you take from him what he thinks belongs to him. Back in 2001, September 11th, will be a day that will go down in infamy, infamy when... When 19 young men from a country halfway around the world came all the way over to America. And for two years, they studied our culture. They studied our ways. They began to uh, enroll into uh, pilot training in Florida. They studied how to read and how to fly jet airliners. They didn't care about taking off or landing. They just wanted to know how to cruise and how to fly the planes. Under our noses, America was asleep. America was living a life where, how many of you remember in those days that you could just get on a plane and get off a plane, didn't have to go through any TSA or any, no wands in the body. I mean, you didn't have to wait. You didn't have to get to the airport an hour early just to go through the check-in and, and all that. There was a day, but 19 men polarized and stopped America in its tracks. The strongest, the most mightiest nation on the planet, on the globe. We were a nation that prided itself. We, we thought we were the strongest. We thought we were not vulnerable. We thought we were impenetrable. No one could penetrate us. But 19 young men, young men, 
who, by the way, do you know that the night before they uh, took those planes and drove them into the towers in the Pentagon, do you know that they spent their last night alive in strip clubs? Because in their ecclesiology, they believe, based on what jihadists think, that when they die, they will be able to go into paradise and they will have 72 virgins where they will be able to have at will and do whatever they want for the rest of eternity. They also believe in, believe in their belief system that if they, through jihadists, will offer themselves as a sacrifice through death, through suicide, that their entire families will be saved. The only problem is with that particular religion is every hundred years, they change the rules. And you know what they do? They change the rules to accommodate what they wanted to say for the time they live in. That's a dangerous religion to be a part of. God's word is forever established in heaven and in earth forever. It doesn't change. We, 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 God's word never changes. It never alters. But here's what happened. Those 19 men showed us showed America, helped us realize that we were vulnerable. We thought we were strong. We thought we couldn't be penetrated. We thought we couldn't fall. Did you know that because of 19 men, it stopped all air traffic for a week in our nation, except military? Civilian flights couldn't be made. They stopped our, our way of life. They stopped 19. It wasn't, it wasn't a nuclear war. It wasn't another nation. It was 19. What does that say to you, even about our own nation? We thought we were strong, but something as little as just 19 men could bring us to a place where it stopped our way of life. And it's from then on, it's altered the way we think and live. Today, we are so prone, we're so concerned about the security of our lives today. And we, we are a much more, how many of you would agree that we're a much more dangerous world today? Today, in our land, and I'm not trying to get political about this, but it concerns me that even though we have laws in our nation, right now we have laws concerning immigration, that it's okay to have people Anyway, in any time, cross borders. I'm not against any race. I'm not against anybody who needs to find a place of safety from a, a, a dictator from another nation. In fact, we have laws for that. But now everybody's coming in. The problem is, when you have these double standards, you have to begin to apply double standards to everything. If you're going to break the law here, that means you can break it over here. You can break the law. Oh, guess what, folks? Somebody may come up to you someday and say, take the front door and the latch and your deadbolt off your front door because we have the right to come in anytime we want. Who's to say that the border in the South is the only time that they're going to stop that? You see, the, the danger of, of playing this game of Russian roulette is a dangerous thing. To live godly, to live godly, why do we believe the word of God? Because the Bible talks about that his laws and his ways bring blessing. God's ways are perfect. God's ways establish the path 
in, in the lives of men and women. Why do I believe? Why do we believe the word of God? Be, not just because I was raised in a Christian home. It's not because a preacher told me something. The, I, I want you to write three things uh, why we need to, to recognize why we believe. Number one, there's a historical record and we see in every nation. There's a historical record to show us that when a nation fears and obeys God, God blesses that nation. Just yesterday, I was on the internet and I found out that between 1775 and 1784, that our first Congress, this is mind-blowing, our first Congress called 16 times in nine years, called America, it was the 13 states at the time on the East Coast, called the 13 states to fasting in prayer. 16 times in nine years from 1775 to 1784. George Washington being the first. And guess what happened? Every time Congress, all of Congress, begin to fast and pray, not only the Congress, but they called the nation to pray and to fast. All of a sudden, for some reason, some of the battles were really interesting. I was reading it down. One, one time, the British were coming in from the coast and all of a sudden, they were praying and fasting in this dense fog came in and the ships lost their way. They couldn't figure out. And all of a sudden, there was no battle. There was another time because of fasting and prayer, God gave uh, one of the armies that was much less in their troop. Uh, they had less troops than the, the enemy. God gave them the strategic, strategic advantage over an enemy that was far larger than they were. Gave them the wisdom to know how to fight, where to position themselves, all because of fasting and prayer. What am I saying here is that when a nation fears God, God gives you the advantage. But there's a historical account that validates the proof of God's word. Then there's the other proof of God's word. That is the proof of conscience. How many of you here have a conscience? Aren't you glad you have a conscience? Do you know you don't even have to be a man of God or a woman of God? You don't even have to be a Christian. Every person on the earth has a conscience. And guess why? Because you're created in God's image. And even though you're created, now you can sear your conscience, you can harden your conscience, but God initially gives us a conscience and understanding the difference between right and wrong. They, somebody I heard uh, went to uh, some islands in the South Pacific to regions and different tribes in, in the South Pacific where people had never heard the gospel. And even in these different tribes, there were people <clears throat> that recognized the difference between right and wrong. There was a tribal leader. They, there were two tribal leaders, actually, and they were fighting against each other. One of, the, one of the guys in one of the tribes went over and stole some chickens. He stole some chickens from the other tribe. And so... He knew it was wrong, not knowing the gospel, not knowing thou shalt not steal under the Ten Commandments out of Exodus 25. Never even heard the Bible, but because of a guilty conscience, went over to the other tribe and told him that I took your chickens. Unfortunately for him, he got his head cut off. But out of guilt, he confessed what he did wrong. 
You see, even the world has a conscience, which proves that God's word is true. You were created in God's image. The third one is this, is that we know that the word of God isn't just principles and truths. It changes lives. When you begin to renew your mind with the word of God, it will transform your life. You will not be left the same. Now, the difference is this, is when we read and eat and feast on the word, the Bible says we need to eat in faith. What does that mean to eat in faith? Well, we need to eat the word. We need to look at the word of God and we need to actually begin to visualize. We need to embrace the word of God as a now word. I want to share something with you. Years ago when my wife, uh, it was, I was about 25 years of age and Carol and I had been married for about two years. And Carol had been talking to me quite a bit. She said, Ray, when are we going to have a baby? And I said, well, someday. And she says, well, would you like to have a baby now? No, but someday. And uh, I mean, she would, my wife is the most non-confrontational type of person, but she just said, would you, would you like to have a baby now? I said, no, but someday, you know. And so uh, I had this guy in our uh, church. He was in our church orchestra, Art Johansson. And Art, I, 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 said, I went to my wife and said, uh, have you been talking to Art Johansson? Because Art comes up to me. We, we had this midweek church orchestra practice, and Art, Art comes up to me. He's kind of a quiet guy, a big, tall guy. He says, Ray, what do, you think, what, do you, what do you think about you and Carol starting a family? And I looked at him and said, have you been talking to Carol or something? <laughs> why, 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 would you, why would you ask that? Well, no, I just, I just, you know, you're mid-20s, you know. I haven't talked to Carol but I still didn't believe him. I went home and asked her. I said, have you been talking to Art Johansson? And she says, no, I haven't talked to Art at all. And I believed it. And I thought, well, well, is this a sign? <laughs> you know, I, I, but what happened was <clears throat> I, uh, I went home and uh, I said, well, Carol, I'll tell you what. I'll think about it. And uh, I was getting ready to go to Ireland with Mike Karen and a, a group of guys, and we were going to go minister over there in Ireland. And uh, while I was over in Ireland, I was with a particular Irish family that was just a phenomenal family. And by the way, English families and Irish families, their whole culture is a lot different than the American culture. But everything was prim and proper over there, and I was blown away by the... Uh, the joy, the favor, and just the family I was staying with. I came back at the end of 10 days, 18, 18, 18 pounds heavier. By the way, don't believe them when they say we're taking you out to tea. Tea is not tea. Tea is a spread. Uh, but we're out to uh, 
I'm coming back home, and I got off the plane. I said, Carol, I think I'm ready. I think I'm ready to start a family if you want to start a family. And she said, thank you, Lord, you know. And uh, so, you know, in the process of time, I came home from work one day, and Carol meets me at the door with one of these sticks. It's the pregnancy stick. And she says, Frank, guess what? I said, what? what? What's happening? She says, look at the color. The color's changed. I said, so what? Big deal. What's the color? I'm pregnant. And you know what? My heart sank. She was happy. I was not happy. Now, here's, this is the way faith works. Because uh, the Lord began to show me something here. That even though she was pregnant, and I knew it, because the stick said so. The thing about it was, I was not expecting. I was not expected. I wasn't happy about it. And I'll tell you why I wasn't happy about it. Because I was not expecting anything good, because most of my life, I heard, I've heard, that having kids, they're just in your way. Having kids, man, they'll cause you trouble when they're teenagers. And see, all of that stuff, I've never talked to Carol about that. I never knew. Now, I, I came from a Christian home, but my mom and dad never, my parents, honestly, and it, it wasn't their fault. They didn't have parents that taught them either. But I was never taught that having a family would be a blessing. I wasn't taught that. Carol was. So she was happy and expectant, and guess what? I was thinking of the misery. I was thinking, oh my God, we're going to go into debt. The kids are going to call us hell. Goodbye, goodbye life, goodbye life. I mean, I was prophesying death to myself because I, my particular, my particular memory bank was filled with a lot of negative crap, a lot of garbage, whether intentionally or unintentionally, I needed to dump some of that stuff and renew my mind. See, Carol was exuberant. She was happy. And here's the interesting thing. She was about ready to suffer through the labor. But guess what? I'm not kidding. Now, I've only lived with one woman in my whole life, but this woman had the most unbelievable pregnancy. She was happy through it, through all three of her pregnancies. Happy, just, oh, this is God, this is good, this is great. I said, how can it be good? You're looking horrible. <laughs> You're looking bad. I mean, I'm going to tell you something. My wife is a gorgeous woman, but on the night of her delivery, blood vessels coming out of her throat. I said, I'm, I'm going to die. What did I do to you? Why did I do this to you? I felt so bad because I did this. And I thought, this is the beginning of the end. See, my faith was based on a repertoire of bad and negative input that just it, I'd, accumulated through the years. And so when God began to speak a word of promise, I backed off. That's going to be miserable. Sermon God, man, it's just hard. It's bad. It's going to be bad. 
And so what happens when God's word, the Bible says that faith comes by hearing and hearing the word. Do you know why faith comes? Because the word of God is about good. God wants to do something good in your life. But, but there's going to be times where there's going to be some trials and tests. But here's the beautiful thing. Though you walk through the fire, though you walk through the flood, he gives us the promise to bring us through. Carol still went through the labor. Thank God it was her, not me. I held her hand the best I could do. But we have to walk through it. But then we give birth. There's a birthing that comes forward. Why do we believe? Why do we believe? I want to just close with this one last scripture. In Psalms 67. If you would jump with me to Psalms 67. You, you all know this text. Because I'm just starting this series on why we believe I want to get into some other things on the war next time. Psalm 67. Notice what it says. God be merciful to us and bless us. By the way, this is a declaration. Lord, be merciful and bless and cause your face to shine upon us. And here it is. That your way may be known on earth your salvation among the nations. Let the people praise you, O God. Let the people praise you. Why do we praise Him? Let me tell you why you praise Him. The purpose of praise isn't just a church time. The purpose of praise is when you are in the heat of battle. When you begin to worship and you begin to praise, the Bible says, let God! Let God arise! What happens to His enemies? They scatter. God didn't say just let God arise and be happy. No, he says let God arise and your enemies will scatter. Okay? Do you know that God will ask you to do something that is against your emotions? To get you to be delivered from you. We are so addicted to how we live and how we live is based on how we feel and how we feel is wrong. It's deceptive. Living by faith means I don't walk by what I see, what I feel. I walk by faith. Do you know what I had to do? Because when my wife was pregnant, she says, Ray, start speaking faith. When she was pregnant, start speaking life. Yeah, but those kids, they're going to cause us problems. So start speaking faith. I had to start speaking faith. I just, but I've, I've heard so many bad, bad, bad stories. Start speaking faith. We're going into warfare. It's going to be, guess what? If we're going to have problems, we may have some battles, but God said he promised to bring us through out on the other end. We're more than conquerors. We're going to win. We're not just going to survive. We're going to thrive. We're not just eking life through. We're going to win the battle. I want to tell you something. At the end of Three Sons, I told my wife, I said, I, I, I think we're done. She says, I wish we could have more. Now that we raised our kids, I regret not having more kids. I, I've told that. How many times have I told you? I said, I regret because my sons were a greater blessing. And guess what? All the lies and everything that I heard from other people that had bad experience. You know why people have bad experiences? Because they prophesy it in their house. When you start saying those kids, you know those kids, they're just a bunch of renegade ruts that give you headaches down the road. Oh, I would love to go back to those parents that said that to me because I believed it. 
But now that I'm a grandpa, I look back and I said, Carol, why didn't we have 10? Sorry, I wouldn't go put her through that. <laughs> well, I guess we're going to have to do adoption or something. But, but see, my faith womb, my womb, everyone has a womb. You can abort the promises of God because of fear and because of wrong thinking and because of outside negative influences. You know, I was reading a passage in Acts 9 where when Peter came into the house to raise, to raise Lydia up from the dead, I think it was Lydia, and it, when, he weighs up to, but when he got to the house, and uh, Dorcas, I mean, Dorcas, uh, the woman who made all these tunics and all that, it, 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 when he got to the house, it says that the women, there were weeping women, and these were professional weepers, by the way, and they did that for the sake of getting attention. They, they really did that. Because when, when you had something bad in your life, one of the things you did is, okay, come on in, I'll give you a couple pennies enough. Now, weep loud. And they, they would do that, literally. If you look in the history, and everybody walked by, what's going on? And some of them would come and they'd give you some money as you're weeping because you're going through grief and sorrows. But, but Peter comes along. Peter sees, here's the weeping and the wailing and wailing and And Peter, it says, the Bible says in Acts 9, it says, Peter, put them out. How many of you know if you're ever going to get a breakthrough, you've got to get rid of the weepers and the wailers? Because let me tell you what a weeper and a wailer are. They're glorifying the powers of fear and darkness. But when you begin to give praise to God, you're saying, let God arise and his enemies will scatter and we will see a breakthrough. When Peter put him out, it says he got on his knees and prayed and he says, Dorcas, arise. And she woke up and brings him out. And guess what? All the weepers stand there looking at him. Wow. I guess the weeping's over. Do we still get our money? Do you? How many believe God... What's our faith to stand on some solid ground? Amen. Let's bow our heads. Why we believe in the next couple, not, not next Sunday, but the following, I'm going to be <coughs> continuing on this, why we believe series. Maybe this morning, some of us have gone through seasons in our life. I know all of us have gone through shaking. All of us have gone through seasons, and maybe sometimes we've... Sometimes, let me just say this. Sometimes when God allows things to shake, it's not to destroy us. It's actually to help reinforce and to help you become far more established. God never intended for failure or mistakes to trip you up or to put you out of the race. God intended for you to learn mistakes. You can learn. You don't have to allow weakness to define you. You don't have to let your past to to define you. We believe not just because God said it in the Bible. We believe because he is faithful. We believe because he is God. And even though we go through seasons in our life, He promises to bring us out stronger, wiser, to be able to become vessels of honor. This morning, maybe this morning you may just sense, you know, Pastor Ray, 
I've gone through seasons, and I just sense even right now there's someone that has been really wrestling a spirit of fear. It's just fear, just kind of like a claw, has just wrapped around its mind, wrapped its claws around your mind, and it just has allowed you to just be crippled with that fear. And God wants to just bring you out of that closet of fear and bring you into a place of faith with some fresh vision. I want you to dream again. I want you to begin to confess. Maybe you may not even know a lot of the Bible, but just begin to say, He is God. He is God. I don't have an answer, but He is God. I don't know where I'm going, but He is God. He is God. He's God of the whole earth. Maybe there's an issue in your life. You just feel stuck. Stuck in your life. And you need the hand of the Lord. You need wisdom from on high. The Bible says you do not have because you will not ask. Ask in faith, believing. And when you ask, if you do not doubt in your heart, you shall have them. Maybe this morning someone might just say, Pastor, I pray for me this morning that I can experience that kind of breakthrough as I begin to press through and I begin to visualize, even like a pregnant woman. A woman doesn't give birth the very night she conceives. She goes through a process of time and in time and then through labor, through waiting, she gives birth. That's the way faith and promises come to pass in our life. Some of you have conceived seeds. Some of you are in the waiting time. Some of you are in the laboring time. Some of you are in the birthing time. <clears throat> Bible says, do not be discouraged that we shall reap if we do not faint. If that's you this morning. Just raise your hand. I want to pray with you right now. Okay. Anyone else? Okay, I see your hands. Father, we just thank you, Lord, for your people. I just pray right now for an impartation of faith. Lord, I pray that you would lift their vision high in Jesus' name. Lord, we don't only just confess your word, but Lord, we believe your word. We thank you, Lord, that your word says so clearly that without faith, it is impossible to please you because... We hand, we, we, we hand, we tie your hands because you are a rewarder of them that diligently seek you. Lord, I just pray that your people would rest in the favor of a God who gives the grace sufficiently to trust and believe him, even in the most difficult times. We love you, Lord, and we give you praise. Shall we stand to our feet this morning? Stand to your feet. <clears throat> Yes, Carol's got a word here she's going to share. Back in 1980, Pastor Mel Davis, prophet of God, prophesied over Ray and I at a presbytery. How many of you got a word from God before? Word from God. This is the first words out of his mouth. And I 
and he 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 says it just like this and i will bring blessing to you and your marriage that was our children that was many other blessings god says today he's given you many of you prophetic words how many of you have received from the Lord words from God? He wants to bless you. Yes. Receive it. Don't throw it away. Don't just say it. he was wrong. Just maybe he has to go on the shelf for a while. But God, when he speaks to you, and I was at the time just pregnant and didn't even, this man didn't even know it. I was just a couple months pregnant with our first child. When that was said, boy, did I say thank you, Jesus. Because I knew the blessing that was up ahead. I knew it before it was prophesied over me. I, said, I said, help me, Jesus. <laughs> so, said, thank you. my word to you, don't throw your prophetic words away. Believe God. 